I would invite you to take your Bibles. Let's focus our attention now on the Word of God, what God has for us. And I say us because God is speaking to me as well. I, if you would like to join me in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to be introducing this book today, this letter. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll just read the first two verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my True child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, as we approach your word, I just pray, Lord, that we would recognize it for what it really is, the very word of God. And may that change us. May we have understanding, may we have clarity today, uh, so that we can apply it to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a a letter. It starts off as a letter. It's obvious that it's a letter. But I want to introduce you to these two men, Timothy and Paul. Uh, The letter, of course, is written to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. Uh, his mentor. And Paul, of course, is no, uh, needs no real introduction. Paul means, uh, the, the name means little or small. He was probably a, a small little man. Uh, in fact, we have a description of him from the, even the second century. A second century historian uh, gives us a, just a paragraph about Paul. Um, he says he's a, he's a man small in stature, with a bald head. I like that. I, some of us identify with that. He has crooked legs. Probably bow-legged, I guess, is what we would stay, say today. Um, in a good state of body. With eyebrows meeting. I guess his eyebrows came together. And a nose that is somewhat hooked. But he was full of friendliness. That's Paul. That was the description back then. That's what Paul was like. Paul was also a Roman citizen. And he could travel throughout the Roman world. He had that freedom. But he was born into a Jewish family. And uh, it was a very traditional, orthodox upbringing that he had. Um, And he was zealous after Judaism. So much so that he was persecuting the church. You know the story of Paul. I mean, he was zealous for the things of the Lord. And he um, participated in Stephen's death. In the early church, we see that. He, uh, almost in one day, and at least one event, uh, he was saved, he was blinded, and he was commissioned into the ministry. And he actually spent some years in the... uh, in the Arabian Desert where he met with Christ himself. And he was appointed by Christ himself to be an apostle. Uh, the Corinthians in their church 
Uh, in fact, in Corinth, probably, there was, it was rumored around, and it, was, it got back to Paul, what they thought of him. It says that, uh, that his letters are, are weighty and strong, but his personal appearance or personal presence is unimpressive. Unimpressive. And his speech, even contemptible. Paul wasn't up on the latest uh, uh, speech uh, techniques, sermon prep and all of that. He was, he was contemptible. And to the world, they would look at him and think, this man has no place to claim authority. He is not impressive at all. Why in the world would they... Uh, why in the world would he be any kind of leader at all? Some would, some would say. Just not impressive. But we in the church, and because of our submission to God, submission to Jesus Christ, we look at Paul and we see him as dynamite. We see how the Lord used him in the life of the church. And to us, he's very impressive. Now we come to Timothy and the name Timothy, his name means uh, one who honors God. And Timothy and Paul met uh, early on in Timothy's life where when Paul, on his first missionary journey, and you can read the story, and we kind of went over it in, uh, in um, Sunday school, Paul goes into this little town of Lystra in Acts chapter 18, and uh, he heals a man. Now, he's preaching the gospel. He's a missionary. He goes into this town. He's preaching the gospel. He sees this man uh, that needs to be healed, and he heals this man. Well, the people there, they just thought he was a god. He and Barnabas were together. And they begin to worship him. And, and Paul and Barnabas, they, they ripped their clothes and said, Hey, look, we are mere men. We're just like you. Don't worship us. And it came to the point that they were getting ready to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, thinking that they were these gods, and Paul is begging them, don't do this, we're mere men like, like you are, and the, but they begin to, they just continue to preach the gospel there, and of course that got the Jewish leaders uh, perturbed, upset, and so there was, the Jews got a crowd together, and they, they, they stoned Paul, they were angry at Paul. Because of the message he was preaching. And, and they stoned him. They drug him out of the city. And they left him for dead. And he gets up. And what does he do? He goes back into the city. Now, that brief amount of time is where he met with Timothy. Probably Timothy was younger. Or much younger. And, uh, and, but his, Timothy's mother and his grandmother probably came to know the Lord at that time. He probably established a small little church in that, uh, in that city. Uh, Timothy's father was a Greek, and uh, and there was there was that uh, probably tension within the home of between the Hebrew uh, uh, culture and the Greek culture. But that made Timothy perfect for ministry. He could float within the the Greek culture, and he can go into the Hebrew culture, and so he was perfect for ministry. And so he traveled with Paul. Paul came back on his second missionary journey. And uh, took Timothy with him. And Timothy began to travel and minister with Paul. And that was probably 15 to 20 years before this letter was written. So by this time, Timothy was probably 30, 35 years old. Paul could have been in his 50s or 60s. On many, many years of ministry together. And Timothy was a godly man. 
He was a godly man, a man of godly character. They said that early in his life even, and that's why Paul chose him for ministry. And you can read about those things throughout the book of Acts. There's a lot of information written about Timothy. The thing is, with this letter, and we've just read the first two verses, the thing is, with this letter, it doesn't... It kind of reads like a normal letter. You, you begin to think it's just a normal letter until you, until you see what Paul says. In the first two verses, uh, it sounds a little stiff. It sounds a little formal to be a letter between two friends. In fact, uh, the closer you look, it looks like Paul's just throwing his weight around. He's, he's kind of elevating himself and he's a little arrogant there. And you think, Paul, where's your, where's your humility here? But Paul's coming across with some force and with some, with some heat and, uh, uh, and it seems arrogant. But if you notice closely, Paul is not promoting himself, but he is promoting not Paul's authority, not his authority, but he is promoting God's authority. He's elevating God's authority. He says that he is an apostle. And this is the way Paul saw himself. He identified himself as an apostle. And that was probably, like Tim mentioned this morning, with a, a, a capital A. Probably in the official sense. The word apostle simply means sent one. Someone that is, is sent on behalf of somebody else. Uh, maybe as an ambassador or a missionary. A mission as they, as they go out with their credentials of the one who sent them. Okay, so he was in this, this ambassador of Jesus Christ. So Paul's authority, it was in his position. Within his position. But even on top of being an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is according to the commandment of God. Now, if you remember back, Jesus, before he rose, before he went up back up into heaven, he said, all authority has been given to me on heaven, or in heaven and on earth. Go make disciples. And so it's in this command that Paul finds himself. I have a a command, and this word command is a a royal decree. It's a royal command. It's a non-negotiable. It is a mandate. And so this is talking about Paul's official capacity. Now, unfortunately, today you see many pastors who think the authority lies with them. And really, the authority lies within God, with the message that they proclaim. And it stops with that message that they proclaim. It's not about their authority at all. And it has so many young men wanting to get into the pastor because of the authority that these people have. And it's affecting the way we're, we're training leaders. And they're so arrogant, thinking that the authority lies with them. And Paul is saying, I have no authority. I'm only here saying this because I'm under command by God. I'm an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. That's Paul's authority. That's Paul's authority. So Paul is writing this letter based upon God's authority. And he has to have this authority because Timothy is facing some false teachers in the church at Ephesus that, uh, that he's in. Paul had gone on ahead to Macedonia. We see that in verse 3. And he's writing this letter back to Timothy. And he has to use force. He has to use some authority. This is a command of God. So I believe that Paul is under writing, uh, writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now I don't believe that uh, he's in some kind of hypnotic state or, or anything like that. I believe he's setting down... And he's just pouring out his heart on paper in a letter form to to Timothy. And I think in that he's moved along by the Holy Spirit. 
And I believe it's inspired. I believe this is the very Word of God. In fact, Peter said this of Paul, and I thought this was really neat. In Second Peter chapter 3, Peter says this, Paul, in verse 16, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, given to him by who? By God, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of those things in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort. And they do not... Uh, as they do with the rest of Scripture. So what Peter is doing is he's, he's making equal, he's equalizing Scripture and Paul's writings. He is saying, this is, this is Scripture. This is Scripture. What Paul is telling to you is the truth. So what we may see here is just a letter from Paul to Timothy is really a letter from God. Now folks, that makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. Man tends to look at the, the man, the person, Paul. A letter from Paul. But it's really from God. It's really from God. Now I, And it's a letter. I, I've often thought, you know, man, wouldn't it be great to at least have a, a tape recording from God instead of a letter? I mean, come on, wouldn't that be better? Or, or maybe a CD. That we could just pop in and, and watch it on, on the screen. Here's God. God has something for us to hear. And, and so we just pop it in and, and it's right there. Or better yet, live streaming. I mean, we have that today. God could have had that back then. Live streaming. Man, here's a message from God. And we see it and it's all authoritative. But that's, that misses the point. The point is not the medium by which God delivers the message. Paul, this unimpressive man, it really doesn't, doesn't even matter what, what Paul looks like. Paul's like it all, as long as he has godly character, reflects godly character. The, the point comes in, of what does he say? This is God speaking, and what does he have to say? Now, he could have used these electronic things that we have today and... and and done, done well, but he uses a letter, a simple letter. He uses snail mail. In fact, back in Paul's day, it was even more snaily. It was even slower back then. Now, here's the principle. Here's what I want us to see. Scriptural power and authority does not lie within the man, but within the fact that it is God's Word. Let me read that again. Scriptural power and authority does not lie within the man in any way. It's not the power of the man in any way. In fact, many times it's in spite of the man. But the power lies within because of the fact that it is God's Word. That's where the power is. That's where the authority is. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. I'm under command of God. And that should get anyone's attention. If you are a believer at all, you hear the voice of your, the shepherd, Christ, the Savior, and he's, and he's calling us to listen. Now the church is always, uh, well, let me, let me just uh, go back. (laughs) Because I hear this all the time, not all the time, but I do hear this quite frequently, but people will say, well, you know, I believe, uh, I believe in hellfire and brimstone preaching. I think, you know what? 
slightly missing the point. The whole point that Paul is trying to get to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, remember what they were doing. They were saying, oh, I like Paul, or I like Peter, or I like Apollos. Now, Apollos, boy, he's a great speaker. And Paul cuts right to the chase and says, look, it's not about the man. It's about God. It's about God. And I believe sometimes we miss it. What does God have to say? Who cares what the man is like? What does God have to say? And the church from the very beginning has realized and recognized the centrality of God's Word, the centrality of this message. And it's, it's seen throughout Scripture, or I'm sorry, seen throughout history. In the early church, they were pulling together the canon. And it was, it was evident, I believe, to Christians. Yeah, this is authoritative. This is from God. And maybe this is not. This is, uh, and they pulled together and they come together as, uh, and uh, conclude that, yes, these are authoritative. These, this is the Word of God. And so, that was the central focus. That was the central focus. Even in our day, we recognize that the centrality of Scripture if you notice, again, I, I think I've used this illustration before. Within this, within this room, you understand that this is the central focus. We have all of the pews facing forward. They're not in a big circle or anything. They're facing forward. We see that this platform up here is raised a little bit higher and the, the floor is sloped down. Why? So every, all the eyes are up here. All the attention up here. Is it for the man? No, it's not for the man at all. We have a pulpit made of wood. It's to elevate this. Just like in Ezra day and Nehemiah's day, they built a wooden pulpit. They prepared a wooden pulpit and they elevated this word because it was about the word. It's about the word. In Europe, you could see uh, a lot of churches. In fact, some, even in American churches, uh, back in the 1600s, 1700s, they built podiums and things on a spiral staircase going up and, and maybe in the corner. But it was elevated so that people could understand that, the, that they place a high view of the Word of God. And they would elevate the Word of God. It wasn't about the man standing up there. It was about the Word. The Word... And there's stories of, told by pastors as they think about what they're, they're doing as they climb those ladders of, about the, the uh, authority that they are wielding with this word here in our church. It is centrality, the centrality of Scripture. We sing it. We pray it. We preach it. We read it. This is what governs us. So the question I want us to, I want us to ask today, and, and that's about the church, and that's about the, I want to, I want to know though, I, how does the fact the Bible is God's word affect your life? Now, now this is not just a, a letter from, from Paul to Timothy. This is a letter from God, and therefore it has an impact, or at least it should have an impact. And so I asked you today, how does it impact your life? And just by way of application, I just want to go over three ways. In fact, I, I think it, it has to impact us three ways. Let me give you one, and we'll just quickly move through these. Number one, it must be the only source of truth for the believer. For you, as a believer, it is your source of truth. It's your source of truth. Because the Bible is the Word of God. It is true. 
Why? Because it's, it's from God. He doesn't tell a lie. Everything that he says is, is true. Now, whether we know it or not, whether we like to recognize it or not, you have a source of truth. And it's probably just the world. It's probably uh, from your upbringing, or this is the way my parents have taught me to do it. But it's, it's those principles and priorities and values that you have of life that is instilled in you in your life. And you, you mainly get them from your parents, sometimes from the culture around us from uh, history, tradition, books that we might have read, education, if we went to uh, some school. But it affects our thinking. It affects what we do and, and how we live our life. Truth, truth are those principles that govern our life. And those are those things that are consistent from generation to generation, those truths, they never change. They're universal. They go from culture to culture. And the Bible is full of them. The Bible is full of them. Now, sometimes we think the truth is not important. I mean, really, think about it. Uh, we have to eat. What's important is work and being productive because we have to feed our family and we have to, we have to live in this world. And so really... Reading and learning and new ideas from Scripture, new ideas or new truths, and the way we live our life is, is seemingly unimportant. What's most important, takes up so much of our time, is, is work. But I, I tell you, because this letter is the Word of God, it comes crashing into our life. Because it is truth. It is truth. And therefore... Therefore, it is our instruction manual, if you will, on how to live life. We, uh, we go to work because the Bible tells us to go to work. It tells us how to work. Everything revolves around it. It's the, it's the truth. It is the source of truth that we have. Principles and biblical truth is, is what shapes our life. And it's to be found in this Word. Now, a couple of years ago, I bought our children a, a trampoline. And, uh, you know, everybody's seen a trampoline, right? I mean, you've seen those things. How hard can they be to put together? I mean, so you dump all these contents out on the grass, on, on the lawn, and, and you, uh, you throw away the instruction manual. And uh, Brian Skurlock, uh, this was a couple years ago, he was with me, and there was a couple of other guys, and and we just started pulling. We know how, you know, we know how to put together a trampoline. Well, halfway into it, what are we doing? Where did we put those instructions? And we're digging every, through everything. Where's the instructions? Where's the instructions? We have to have instructions. Instruction manual is important. It's important. No matter how minimalized they are by the world. Instructions are important. Now, most men just throw them away and say, I know how to put this together. Don't we do that? Man, some of the most complex things. And we're, I'm always, forever, digging them out of the trash, doing an instruction man, out of the trash, teach me how to put things together. Men, listen, we are to lead our families by the instructions of God's Word. He, he tells us, God tells us how our marriages are to work. He informs our thinking. 
It comes from His truth. He tells us how to manage our finances. He tells us how to raise our children and to do it right. He tells us how to work the character we are to have at work. He tells us the priorities that we are to have. He tells us who to vote for. He tells us who to listen to. He tells us how to manage our time and what values and priorities we are to place upon our time. So men, we have to use the instruction manual. As leaders in your home, I challenge you, you you must look and take time on a daily basis, on a regular basis. What does the Word say? What does God say? What does God say? We as a church have to do the same thing. Decisions that we make, we we go, we have to, it it has to come from Scripture. What does God say about these, these affairs that we're looking at? Even the songs that we pick out, it's hard today. Because there's so many songs that, are, that sound great. You, you know, you hear them on the radio and you hear them in different places and you, you just, you know, they stick in your mind. They're Christian songs. And, and then you start looking and evaluating the, the, the words and you think, yeah, are they biblical? Are they theologically sound? Scripture comes crashing into our life and and saying, you better evaluate truth by Scripture. It, It tells us what is truth. What songs to sing. Does this song really line up with God's Word? Does it really glorify the Lord? It has a great tune, Lord. But does it match Scripture? So we have to evaluate those things. And that's hard. It's hard because... Because there's so many people who have ideas what, you know, what songs we should sing. So it takes great study. Men, in your home, it takes great study because it takes a lot of wisdom. And we have to study Scripture. You must have that time where you study Scripture and you develop your convictions. And then you teach those things to your children. Let's move on. Number two. So we have to... We have to study Scripture. Scripture is truth because it's God's Word. Number two, it must be the dominant influence in the believer's life. It must be the dominant influence in the believer's life. You can say, oh, I know the truth, and, and I know what's right, and I can, I can look at a doctrinal statement and sign off on that doctrinal statement. Boy, that's the truth. That's what I believe. But because it's the Word of God, it is also authoritative it's authoritative. It has authority. It's not just truth on the same level as, as one plus one. This is truth from God. It trumps all other truths. It's, it's the starting point then. We start right here. And everything else flows from Scripture. It must define our world. It must be the grid that filters everything else out. Everything must be evaluated through the lens of Scripture. And we can say that we believe the Bible, but frankly, sometimes we live as though it has no impact in our lives. It doesn't influence us at all. And that's scary. That scares me. The other day, my uh, son... Uh, had a question, just a real simple question. We were just, I don't even know, circumstances. And uh, it, it was a brilliant question. He said, uh, he said, Dad, why are shoes so important? 
Yeah. I'm thinking, what? Why are shoes so important, Dad? And I think, well, you know, to protect your feet. And he says, no, no. Dad, at school, kids pin $100, for shoes. And I say, well, they're not that important. <laughs> you know, I mean, shoes are important. You've got to wear shoes. It's a good idea. But look, the emphasis can be on the wrong pl- thing. We're talking about peer pressure there, aren't we? And that's what I'm talking about. Has it, has it, is it, are you under the peer pressure of Scripture? Do you fear God rather than man? Is, does that trump everything else? What God says. What God says. Women. Women, what influences you? What, what influences are you allowing into the home? What influences your children? Fill in the blank for me. Because the Bible is God's Word, I do blank differently or i did blank differently this week because the bible told me so because the the bible has an impact in my life and i do something differently we have to ask that because why because the bible is the central focus its truth has to trump everything its authority has to trump all other authority It has to be the dominant influence in our life. And sometimes I'm afraid that it's not. Those precious times, I know we are all busy, but those precious times when you can get apart from the children, apart from your husband, apart from uh, the world, and come and drink from the Word of God, and let it impact your life. And let its authority influence you. That's the way we're to live. That's the biblical model. Because the Bible, within the Bible, is authority. Because it's God's Word. Number three. Number three. um, It it must be the main source of edification. The Bible must be the main source of edification for the believer. Because the Bible is God's Word, it is the source of spiritual life. Um, The Bible is active. It is a living word. Christ said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay? He's saying that it's the word of God is more important than your food. Than your food. The word of God sustains the, the Christian life. It is our main source of edification. It sustains us. You know, unless a person is sick, you don't have to force a hungry person to eat, do you? No, there's something about food that just attracts. There's something with inside that, that hungry person that says, I want that food. And, and boy, I, I tell you what, I go buy McDonald's or I go buy some of these places and and i smell that and there's something that just makes me want to pull right into there you know the the new um dickies down here in beaver 
You smell that. Now, it's not, I don't have to smell the meat. All I have to do is smell the fire cooking. They, they cook that uh, with, a, with this type of wood. And I just smell the wood burning. And I think, yeah, boy, that's what I, that's what I want. Now, there's something within me that wants that, that craves that. And unless a believer is spiritually sick, unless the believer has fed upon junk food of the world, there should be that craving within the believer. Lord, feed me. That is my source of nutrition. That is my source of edification. Sometimes we drain other people. Sometimes we, we think that it, we're going to f- be satisfied with other people. Our edification is going to come from someplace else, someone else. We'll drain them. We'll suck them dry because life is not within them. Life is within this word. Life is within this word. Something motivates you. Something energizes you. Something gets you out of bed in the morning. Something other than your kids. Something sustains you. Is it the word of God? Is it the word of God? When you read it, Does it ignite your heart? Is it a discovery or an exhibition when you're looking into God's Word? What will I discover today that will just energize me? That will ignite my heart? Or do you need somebody to coax you to eat? Have you ever had little kids and you try to feed those things and you set them in this chair and man, food winds up everywhere. You try to get them to eat, you try to play the airplane game, you know, and you stick it in, and it goes in their eye and on their head. And There's something within the believer that yearns, Lord, feed me from this Word. It is my food. It is my food. A scriptural power and authority lies not within man. Listen. It lies within the Word of God because it's God's Word. It's God's Word. And let me just say this. That changes everything. Because this is God's Word, it changes everything. When we approach 1 Timothy uh, like we're doing, we have to realize this is God's Word and it must impact our life. Or it kind of shows us what we think of God Himself. It's not Paul. It's not the, his writing style. It's not his delivery. What do we think about God Himself? It kind of reflects that. And so when you see First Thessalonians that Tim read to us earlier, Paul said, I'm glad because you received it for what it really is. It's the Word of God, not the Word of man. Not the Word of man. So therefore, it must impact our life. If it doesn't impact our life, folks, we're just playing a game. We're fooling ourselves. It has to impact our life. Paul's authority, Paul is saying, he's promoting his authority there, but it's not his authority, it's God's authority. And it's got to impact our life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking the interest, the time, the grace to give us this word. Lord, you could, have, you could have just left us to our own devices. And we would have thought we were okay. But Lord, you come crashing into our life. 
and you come crashing into our world and you, you speak truth to us. And then when we begin to realize things have to change in our life. Things have to change because of who you are. Now, Lord, may you find hearts here in this room receptive and ready to hear your word, what you have for us. And Lord, may we not wait till next week. Lord, may we get a sneak peek even this week, Lord, to find out what you have for us. May you put that desire in our heart that is strong, that burns for your word. Lord, may we be those who aggressively seek and study out your word. And we thank you even that. We recognize your, our dependence on you. And even, even that, you, you have to give us that desire. And so I pray for a strong desire for the word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.